and gentlemen, hello and welcome to 2022 and the first edition of the Weekly Roundup, in which we look at some of the main headlines and developments that pertain to the asset and wealth management industry across Singapore, Hong Kong and mainland China. In this edition, we are looking at developments that occurred over the week of January 3 through 7. So let's dive in. Starting things off with a look at the areas asset managers may focus on in the coming year, the Financial Times notes that the divergence between, quote, winners and losers, end quote, is expected to increase over 2022. Private markets are seen as the, quote, hottest area in deal making this year for mainstream asset managers, end quote, and those that are able to effectively meet client demand and expectations in this area stand to see growth and profitability, according to a senior partner at McKinsey. ESG, China, personalization, and outsourcing are likely to drive growth over 2022 as well, with George Gatch, chief executive of JP Morgan Asset Management, stating, quote, anything related to managing money or clients, I want to own. Anything else, I want to outsource. End quote. In Asia-Pacific, Ignites Asia reports that China is the main focus for asset managers, with Neil MacDonald, head of asset managers segment at State Street Global Advisors, stating that, quote, Far and away, China is still the number one strategic priority for many non-domestic Chinese asset managers but also Chinese asset managers that are already onshore and are, frankly, doing very well right now. End quote. Mr. McDonald also stated he believed that China's retail fund space would see double-digit growth over 2022, and that the resilience of the markets would surprise. This view is somewhat reinforced, with China's mutual fund market growing 27.3%, over the first 11 months of 2021 to reach 3.98 trillion US dollars. Several foreign asset and wealth managers are very active in China's onshore space, creating products and raising funds across public and private markets, and 2022 is likely to see increased activity from those already in China, along with increased interest in establishing an onshore presence for those that are not. Next up, HSBC Private Bank, the private banking arm of the British financial institution, saw a record amount of private client commitments to alternative investments raised in 2021 globally, with an aggregate 3.2 billion US dollars allocated, up from 2.3 billion US dollars in 2020, as reported by Asian Private Banker. Circa 1.9 billion US dollars of this came from APAC, where clients reportedly more than doubled their aggregate private market commitments. Strong performances from hedge funds and across private markets, coupled with the desire from customers to diversify their investment portfolios as protection against market volatility and inflation, were cited as the main drivers of this. Given the aforementioned focus on alternatives and private markets expected in 2022, whether HSBC and other asset and wealth managers see this trend continue 
will be interesting to see unfold, especially when targeting retail investors who are increasingly clamoring for access to alternative investments. Next up, Australia retained its position as Asia-Pacific's leading sustainable fund jurisdiction, as reported by CityWire Asia, citing data from Ceruli, a Boston-based financial services advisory firm. The data shows the growth in ESG ETF AUM over the period 2016 through June 2021, over which Australia's ESG ETF assets under management increased from 156 million US dollars to 4.9 billion US dollars. China was in second place, having grown its ESG ETF AUM from 15 million US dollars to 3.3 billion US dollars over the same period. Taiwan, Japan, and South Korea rounded out the remaining top five places. Hong Kong placed sixth, and Singapore came in tenth, with ESG ETF assets under management of 488.9 million US dollars and 17.9 million US dollars respectively. Over 1.7 billion US dollars in ESG ETF AUM poured into APAC over the first half of 2021, compared to 2 billion US dollars across all of 2020, and the pace of ESG ETF launches is expected to continue due to the lower costs offered by ETFs and the strong focus on ESG that investors currently have. Robo-advisory platforms are also expected to contribute to the increase in ESG ETF AUM, as many of these platforms offer ESG and sustainability-themed products, as covered in previous episodes. In aggregate, ESG ETFs account for around 4% of total ETF assets in APAC, 31 such products launched over the first half of 2021, compared to 25 launches over all of 2020. Now on to Singapore. UOB Asset Management, the asset management arm of the Singaporean bank, has partnered with Singtel, a Singaporean telecommunications company, to launch a robo-advisor on Singtel Dash, Singtel's mobile application platform, as reported by Hubbis, and following a joint Singtel and UOB asset management press release announcing the memorandum of understanding between the two parties in late December 2020. As per the press release, this robo-advisory service is the first collaboration between a non-banking mobile wallet and an established asset management firm. Users will be able to invest in a portfolio of ETFs, managed funds, and other asset classes via the Dash app. Investments can be made from one Singapore dollar and have annual advisory fees of between 0.6% to 0.8%, and the robo-advisor allows for a highly personalized portfolio based on the user's unique risk profile, investment horizon, and financial goals. The press release cites data indicating that robo-advisor assets under management in Singapore will increase from $1.06 billion in 2020 to reach 3.62 billion US dollars by 2024, an annual growth rate over 25%, with users expected to increase from 104,900 to 192,500 over the same period, an 83% increase. Stashaway, a Singapore-based robo-advisor, reported 1 billion US dollars in assets under management in early 2021, 
citing a 300% growth in assets under management over 2020. And Dawas, another Singapore-headquartered robo-advisor, reported breaching the $1 billion Singapore dollar AUM mark in June 2020, reaching that threshold in 20 months. Whilst these examples reflect total AUM, and not just that from Singapore, they do point to the explosive growth that robo-advisory platforms can achieve and provide some support to the strong growth expected from Singtel and UOB Asset Management. UOB AM will provide two exclusive investment options to Singtel Dash's 1.2 million users, with one giving investors strong ESG exposure. Moving on. Data from the SGX, Singapore's main bourse, shows that over 2021, the combined AUM of SGX-listed ETFs increased nearly 50% to reach 12.55 billion Singapore dollars, up from 8.53 billion Singapore dollars at the start of the year. Whilst 22 ETFs recorded AUM growth over 2021, 2.94 billion Singapore dollars, nearly 75%, was attributed to one iShares ETF. The next highest ETF, an ICBC China Southern product, recorded net inflows of 316 million Singapore dollars. New product launches over the year saw SGX's ETF universe increase from 30 to 35 funds. The SGX cited strong institutional investor interest in ETFs, particularly in fixed income strategies, as driving growth in this investment segment. ETFs now account for circa 10% of all mutual fund AUM in Singapore, and the aforementioned increase in AUM from robo-advisors may see the share increase in coming years. On to Hong Kong. Fund Selector Asia, citing a press release from December 2021, reports that the Hong Kong Exchange, the main board of the Fragrant Harbour, has reached an agreement with its peers in Shanghai and Shenzhen, among others, to include ETFs in the various Stock Connect programs the territory administers. In the release, Hong Kong Exchange stated that the move, quote, reflects the ongoing commitment by Hong Kong Exchange and its mainland partners to continue expanding and enhancing the landmark mutual market access program between the capital markets of mainland China and Hong Kong. End quote. The release further states that implementation is expected to take approximately six months. The announcement follows the launch of ETF Connect in June 2021 between the Hong Kong, Shanghai, and Shenzhen bourses, under which feeder funds can be launched in order to facilitate investment in ETFs listed in the other jurisdiction. It further follows the announcement in December 2021 that the Shenzhen and Singapore exchanges had signed an MOU to promote ETFs in the other markets using feeder funds, though no timeline was provided as to when this scheme would be operational. It also follows the announcement, also in December 2021, that China would broaden the Shanghai London Stock Connect program to include German and Swiss bourses, with the consultation process on the proposal and others open until mid-January 2022. Such developments are a strong sign of China's intention to continue to open its capital markets to foreign investors, though through controlled channels, as it has consistently done so. 
And now up to China. Despite rising geopolitical tensions, Bloomberg reports that Wall Street's love affair with China's capital markets is far from abated. It notes that Morgan Stanley is applying for five new licenses for business, Goldman Sachs has been doubling its workforce, and that Citigroup is applying for licenses in the mainland, in addition to myriad other actions from US and other foreign financial institutions to increase their presence or gain access to the estimated 45 trillion US dollars worth of capital markets in the Middle Kingdom. Bloomberg notes, though, that despite years of trying, foreign financial institutions have made relatively little progress with lackluster performance in equity raising, no presence in the local bond market, and the majority of their presence being felt in the mergers and acquisition space and the asset and wealth management sector, in which Jasper Yip, a partner at Oliver Wyman, a global consulting firm, estimates that they could seize a 10% share of over the next five years. This perceived lack of success is compounded by increased pressure from the USA political structure, where there is an increased focus and attention on US firms operating in China given the current tensions between the nations. Despite all these factors, the last few years have seen a flurry of activity by US and other foreign financial institutions as China has relaxed ownership and access restrictions to its capital markets and financial sector. Many firms have taken, or are in the process of taking, majority or 100% control over various operations across a multitude of sectors in China's financial space, as covered in previous episodes, and these show no signs of abating. Next up, Deutsche Wealth Services, the asset management arm of the German financial institution, is in talks with the wealth management arm of Postal Savings Bank of China, one of the big six state-backed lenders in the mainland, regarding a joint venture, as reported by Tsai Xin. If successful, this would represent the fifth such wealth management joint venture, with the prior four being entered into by Amundi, BlackRock and Tomasek, Schroders and Goldman Sachs as the foreign parties. UBS is also reportedly in discussions with China Life Insurance for a joint venture, along with BNP Paribas' discussion with Agricultural Bank of China, and JP Morgan chose a different route to enter the wealth management space with China Merchants Bank. Deutsche Wealth Services reportedly signed the agreement in September 2021, pipping UBS Asset Management for the privilege. Further reported is that Deutsche Wealth Services will be pursuing majority control of the JV. Additionally, IGM Financial, a Canadian financial firm via their subsidiary McKenzie Financial Corporation, will purchase the 13.9% stake in China AMC held by Power Corporation of Canada, the parent company of IGM Financial, for 1.15 billion Canadian dollars, as per a press release from IGM Financial. The move will double McKinsey Financial Corporation's stake in China AMC to 27.8% and consolidate the overall holdings under one entity. The deal is expected to close in the first half of 2022, and the consideration paid would amount to a rate of 2.68% of China AMC's AUM 
as of and June 2021, far below the premium paid by foreign entities in recent transactions, but likely reflecting the internal nature of the deal. Valuations from IGM Financial showed a 17.5 times price-to-earnings multiple, reflecting an earlier transaction in 2017, in which McKenzie Financial Corporation purchased a 13.9% stake for 638 million Canadian dollars. Concurrent to that deal, Power Corporation of Canada purchased a 3.9% stake in China AMC for 179 million Canadian dollars. The press release and accompanying presentation highlighted four main benefits to the transaction, namely, enhanced participation in China's asset management industry forecast to grow between 13.9% to 14.5% over the period 2017 to 2030, compared to a 6.1% growth rate in Canada over the same period. Second, it would reinforce relationships and business opportunities between McKenzie and China AMC and the other stakeholders. Third, it would simplify the IGM and Power Corporation of Canada organizational structure. And finally, it would provide a financially attractive outcome with net accretion of 9 million Canadian dollars in the first year following the deal, rising to a forecast 37 million Canadian dollars in 2026. James O'Sullivan, president and CEO of IGM Financial, said of the deal, quote, The Chinese asset management industry is one of the largest and fastest growing markets in the world. We believe that an expanded investment in China AMC, one of the top three asset managers in the country, is strategically important to position IGM Financial for further growth, end quote. And that he saw, quote, this partnership as the best opportunity to accelerate growth and diversify our business, end quote. Also in foreign acquisitions, the Chinese partner to the Chinese fund joint venture of Manulife Financial, another Canadian financial institution, has extended its majority stake auction until the end of January 2022, as reported by Ignites Asia. The 51% stake held by TIDA Investment Holdings, a Chinese state-owned enterprise based in Tianjin, was put up for sale on January 5, and Manulife, as the JV partner, holds preferential bidding rights though the extension of the auction period may indicate that TIDA is seeking other buyers or engaging in chicanery with regards to the auction. The asking price is reported 1.76 billion RMB, which, against AUM of circa 55 billion RMB as of end 2021, values the stake at 6.27% of assets under management, in line with previous transactions seen when foreign firms look to increase their JV stakes. When looking at the price-to-earnings of the JV against reported 2020 net profit of circa 40 million RMB, the P-E ratio is 86 times, substantially higher than the 50 times paid by JP Morgan in its recent acquisition of 49% in its former JV. Whether the price for Manulife comes down or whether another buyer shows interest will be interesting to see as will the final purchase price to gauge the control premium prevalent in transactions of this nature. Finally, HSBC has received regulatory approval to acquire the remaining 50% of its insurance joint venture, HSBC Life China, from its partner, 
National Trust Limited, a financial institution, as per a press release. The spring's closure to a process that began in May 2020 when HSBC announced the agreement. The purchase amount was not disclosed at time of recording. HSBC has announced a strong pivot to Asia in general and China in particular, boosting its resources in Hong Kong and the Greater Bay Area in addition to other moves. It reportedly has nearly 700 wealth planners currently in China with the intent to reach 3,000 by 2025 and taking 100% control of its insurance venture along with its investment in Pinnacle, an initiative to reach wealthy individuals in China's coastal cities with an army of officeless advisors, will likely factor into its wider asset and wealth management plans in China. Additionally, its Chinese partner in a brokerage joint venture in the Shanghai Zone has put up 39% of its 49% ownership stake in the JV for 1.26 billion RMB, which HSBC will allegedly bid for, to add to its existing 51% stake. The auction expires on January 21. Moving on, the People's Bank of China, China's central bank, recently issued a fintech development plan for the period 2022 through 2025, as per a press release from the bank. The initiative was formulated in consideration of the mission and implementation of China's 14th five-year plan, and emphasizes Xi Jinping's thought on Chinese socialism with Chinese characteristics, the spirit of the 19th National Congress of the Communist Party of China, and the 19th Plenary Sessions, adheres to innovation-driven development and the original aspiration of the people, earnestly fulfills the mission of serving the real economy, prompts the digital transformation of finance, improves the modern financial system with regards to the development of the digital economy and contributes financial strength to the construction of a new development pattern and the realization of common prosperity. All of these naturally scream fintech. The initiative contains eight key tasks. First, strengthen financial technology governance, comprehensively shape digital capabilities, improve the financial technology ethics system with multi-party participation, and collaborative governance, and build a digital ecosystem that promotes itself. Second, comprehensively strengthen the construction of data capacity, promote the orderly sharing and comprehensive application of data under the premise of ensuring security and privacy, fully activate the potential of data elements, and effectively improve the quality and efficiency of financial services. Third, build a green and high availability data center, set up a safe and ubiquitous financial network, deploy an advanced and efficient computing power system, and further consolidate the digital base for financial innovation and development. Fourth, deepen the financial application of digital technology, improve the system and mechanism for the application of scientific and technological achievements with equal emphasis on safety and efficiency, continuously expand the industrial ecology of openness, information, and win-win cooperation, and open up the last mile of the transformation of scientific and technological achievements. Fifth, improve a safe and efficient financial technology innovation system, build an integrated operations center that integrates business, technology, and data, 
establish an intelligent risk control mechanism and fully activate the new kinetic energy of digital operation. Sixth, deepen the intelligent reconstruction of financial services, build diversified service channels, strive to create a barrier-free service system, and provide people with more inclusive, green, and humanized digital financial services. Seventh, speed up the all-around application of regulatory technology, strengthen the building of digital regulatory capabilities, implement penetrating regulation on financial technology innovation, and build a risk firewall between finance and technology. And eighth, do a good job in cultivating financial technology talent, continue to promote the construction of standard rules and regulations, strengthen the implementation of laws and regulations, and escort the stable and long-term development of financial technology. As with previous versions of fintech and data protection laws in China, the practical application of these eight principles and the results of their implementation are likely to have substantial effects on the asset and wealth management space in China and the operational frameworks of foreign firms operating in their remits. How these eventuate will no doubt be watched with avid interest. Next up, in the digital space, ahead of the Winter Olympics in Beijing, the People's Bank of China has launched a digital yuan app for users to make payments and transfers with the CBDC, as reported by Caixin. The app is available across 12 cities and regions in China, and after signing up, users need to select one of nine partner banks, encompassing the Big Six state-backed banks, WeBank, co-founded by Tencent, a Chinese tech titan, and MyBank, backed by Ant Group, another pillar of China's tech industry. China Merchants Bank rounds out the nine. Users need to select one to transfer money across accounts and make payments. Users do not need an existing account with any of the partner banks before using the app. Within the app, four levels of wallets are offered, with differing levels of balance and payment limits. The lowest level, level 4, only requires a cell phone number to register and has a maximum balance of 10,000 renminbi, single payments cannot exceed 2,000 renminbi, and total daily and annual payments cannot exceed 5,000 renminbi or 50,000 renminbi respectively. These limits are progressively raised, with level 1 requiring a user to visit a bank in person and having no limits across maximum balance, single payments, and total daily and annual payments. Since the first Digital Yearn app was launched in October 2020, several initiatives have been launched to test and promote its use. As a result of these, it was reported that in November 2021, 140 million individual and 10 million corporate Digital Yuan accounts had been created, with 62 billion renminbi in transactions transpiring. PBOC has stated that foreign visitors to China will be able to use the app during the Winter Olympics. With Chinese New Year approaching and the prevalence of digital hongbao being exchanged, these numbers may surge with the wider rollout of the app. Moving on. As covered in previous episodes, 2020 saw many asset managers in China host live streaming events, sometimes partnering with influencers and other online personalities to increase interest in products. Several reportedly had audiences 
in the hundreds of thousands. Now, as reported by the South China Morning Post, Chinese regulators have proposed rules to target online marketing of financial products and services, with draft regulations stipulating that only those with the necessary qualifications and licenses may promote financial products and services via live streaming or social media platforms. This follows measures introduced in May 2021 that curtailed the use of cash incentives on live streaming events that promoted funds and investment products and banned popular platforms from hosting such events or broadcasting them. The move comes as Beijing exerts increased control and pressure over China's tech industry, specifically with its role in finance, and the proposed regulations prohibit non-bank payment institutions such as Alipay or WeChat Pay from promoting financial products to consumers. In April 2021, 13 fintechs were summoned by regulators for a reported three-hour meeting in which they were informed that their apps should no longer provide financial services beyond payments, as covered in a previous episode. Concurrently, a broader crackdown on social media influences pertaining to their tax payments is also battering the live streaming industry, with the top-performing live streaming seller hit with a 1.34 billion renminbi tax bill. Figures published from the China Association of Performing Arts in May 2021 showed over 130 million live streaming accounts across 23 internet platforms at the end of 2020, though no figures indicate those that were engaged in selling goods and services. Accordingly, live streaming fund sales channels may have found themselves caught between an assault on fintechs in China and a clampdown on the operations of live streamers. Whether the sales channel is able to exist in the future will be of interest to a range of stakeholders across the industry. Next up, China's Qualified Foreign Limited Partner, or QFLP program, is expanding to a pilot scheme in the Guangdong-Macau Cooperation Zone in Hangqin, as reported by Fund Selector Asia. QFLP was launched in 2010 and allows for the raising of capital offshore for investment in mainland private equity projects. Since its inception, it has expanded to over 10 cities in China, and in April 2021, additional measures and changes were announced. Under the Hengqin pilot, which will start on January 29, there will be no mandatory scale, AUM, asset, or license requirements of foreign participants. There will be no restrictions on the registered capital, initial capital contribution ratio, or capital contribution period for foreign investors, and investments can be made across public and private companies, convertible bonds, debt to equity swaps, equity funds, and participation in allotments as original shareholders of listed companies. How successful the pilot is, and who participates, will be interesting to see. On to China fund news. China's public and private fund markets look to be ending 2021 on a high note, with assets under management as of November 2021 reaching a total in excess of 44 trillion RMB. At this time, public fund AUM was 25.32 trillion RMB, an increase in 5.43 trillion RMB from the start of 2021, and private fund AUM was 19.73 trillion RMB, up 3.76 trillion RMB over the same period. Despite this growth, a survey from Tiantian Fund, 
an online fund supermarket, found that 53% of respondents had lost money over 2021, with another 35% stating that they only made annualized returns of up to 10%. Over 2021, the reported average annualized return of active equity funds was 9%, so a substantial number of investors underperformed the market. This lackluster performance may impact new fund launches in 2022, with Ignites Asia reporting that fundraising for the 18 funds launched this month to date has been below expectations from asset managers, with several failing to raise in excess of 1 billion RMB, and the most successful launch raising 1.3 billion RMB, a far cry from January 2021 when four funds collectively raised 50 billion RMB. For future fund launches, their registration process may be accelerated, with China Fund News reporting that from January 1st, bond and balanced funds that are already under the fast-track approval scheme will see their registration period accelerated from 20 to 15 days. For these fund types not in the fast-track approval scheme, their registration process has been reduced from 45 to 35 days. For equity funds not in a fast-track scheme, their registration time has been shortened from 30 to 20 days. As mentioned earlier, China has seen substantial growth in ESG exchange-traded fund AUM, and this is part of a larger trend in China's ESG fund space, with Shanghai Securities News citing data from the China Securities Investment Fund Industry Association, noting that circa 1,000 ESG-linked funds in China have aggregate AUM of 790 billion RMB as of third quarter 2021. This represents an increase in AUM of 36% from the end of 2020, and the AUM is split between 190 public ESG funds and 800 private ESG funds, with the former having 410 billion RMB and the latter boasting 370 billion RMB in AUM. Finally, infrastructure REITs may get a boost from authorities, with the National Development and Reform Commission instructing its local teams to increase publicity, decrease red tape, and boost services so that more infrastructure projects can be created as real estate investment trusts. This follows the launch of China's first batch of infrastructure REITs in June 2021, in which the nine products were massively oversubscribed, attracting 30 billion RMB in retail subscriptions against a 2 billion RMB valuation. Despite this enthusiasm, only three REITs have entered the market, with numerous challenges blocking progress. With more political will and capital being invested, more REITs may be brought to market soon, something which retail investors have proven to be very interested in. So, that's it for the first week of 2022, January 3 through 7. From our perspective, the focus on China, alternatives, and ESG for the year ahead certainly makes a lot of sense. As per previous episodes, we have seen numerous foreign asset managers either step up their activities in China, be it in looking to acquire new licenses, new partners, take a majority stake in an existing joint venture, or look for 100% control. We've also seen numerous foreign financial institutions increase their participation in the domestic markets, launching numerous products for the private and public investor segments in China. 
Alternatives certainly look to be a strong sector for investment flows this year globally, but also specifically across Asia-Pacific, as investors from the high net worth individual segment down to the mass retail look for ways to get access to these products, particularly on the retail side, and seek to diversify their investment portfolios in the face of the volatility and higher inflation risks that are potentially going to impact the world. ESG, as an investment trend, still probably has quite a bit of gas left in the tank for it to run, and we have consistently seen substantial investments from asset and wealth managers to provide products in this space. So would certainly expect to see myriad products and investment opportunities made to investors for sustainable finance and ESG investments. For foreigners in China, the ease of use for the digital yuan application will be interesting. Firstly, if any foreigners are actually able to go to China for the Winter Olympics, and also in terms of the ease of access that they're able to use it, whether they are able to establish accounts across all four levels that are offered, or whether they're limited to one or two perhaps, and then whatever the ease of use is for them to facilitate payments and transactions using that app. The crackdown on influencers is also quite interesting. That was certainly a novel way of distributing product, and that has also been replicated across several Southeast Asian countries. So whether or not that's able to continue in future, particularly as we see increased interest in digital distribution channels and platforms, will be interesting to see unfold. However, those are just our thoughts. Let us know your thoughts in the comments below, and if there were any developments or headlines that you think we should have covered that we didn't. If you enjoyed this episode, do feel free to leave us a like, share with other people you think may find it interesting, and subscribe for future content. If you didn't enjoy this episode, thank you for sticking around this long, and let us know in the comments what topics we should cover in future to keep your interest. From Three Lions Asset Wealth Management Advisory, many thanks for tuning in. Do stop by next time and have a fantastic 2022.